are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Thursday, everybody. We are racing through the week. I can't believe it's already Thursday. Lance, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing great, Noah. And not to bring a negative vibe, and I'm just th- th- this has just been my experience this week. It's not a bad thing because I've been enjoy- in- enjoying this week. Actually, it feels like the longest week I've had in a while. Really? It really does. And normally, I would completely agree with you. Normally, it, it feels like the week is just flying by, and then all of a sudden you wait, you look up, and we're doing the show on Friday or Thursday. But this week feels a little longer, and that's not necessarily been a bad thing. I've actually quite enjoyed this week. Man, I blinked, and it's Thursday. And, of course, we're 23 days away from the first SEC football Saturday, even closer to Week 0 Saturday. That would be 16 days away. We are nearly at that two-week mark that comes up on Saturday of this weekend. So maybe that's why things are slowing down for you. You're counting down the days. I'm not really counting down the days. I'm still enjoying covering fall camp and covering all the lead-up up to it. This is an enjoyable time for me. I know a lot of people out there are starved for football are starved for anything that's not baseball and summer league basketball i get that but i actually really enjoy talking season yeah i do as well and it's it's always nice to get to throw out predictions and stuff like that and at some point you know we're 23 days away i gotta actually go through and and give my official crystal ball predictions i may not do it specifically on the show i just need for myself i need to go in and uh, write down some wins and losses for these uh, sec teams Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text slide at 334-564-1840. We welcome your predictions, your projections on anything, anything in the sports world that you want to predict, bring it on. 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Fun show for everybody today. We got about a 19 to 20 minute pre-recorded interview with Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast coming up at about 2.30. He's got a lot of great insights on the Tyrone Truesdale, whatever that is. You know, he's not with the program anymore. He's entering the transfer portal. Whatever that is, the the absence of Tyrone Truesdale, the 2021 Auburn football team, has got a lot of great thoughts on what that means for this Auburn team moving forward and what it means for the nose tackle position and Tony Fair, as well as talking about Auburn defensive backs. A lot of great insights there. Also, just an absolutely just phenomenal interview there with Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast coming up at 2.30. But we're going to start our show off with our preseason depth chart series, wrapping up the defense now with the safety position. We did cornerbacks yesterday, linebackers and defensive line earlier this week. And now wrapping up the primary two sides of the football, offense and defense. There's still special teams to do. But nearing the end of our preseason depth chart series, we take a stab at safety here. And I think you got to start with Smoke Monday He's the only one that's hammered down his spot in this defensive backfield. Yeah, absolutely. I think Smoke Monday is the best player as far as the safety goes. If we were to rank these guys, I think he's the best. 6'3", 200 pounds, fantastic size for a safety. Y'all know how much I I, I like the taller corners and safeties. Last season, uh, he had... 
Let's take a look here. He had 73 total tackles in 2020, two interceptions, one forced fumble. Over the course of his career, he has over 100 tackles, four interceptions. Uh, so it, he, early on in his career, as a backup kind of depth piece for Auburn, I remember, I believe it was in, it might have been the Liberty game in 2018, might be completely wrong. I know it was a non-conference game where he had some type of diving interception. I really like I really liked him at the time, and I remember thinking this kid's going to be something special. And then in 2019 and 2020, we've kind of seen the ups and downs of Smoke Monday. We've seen him make really incredible plays. Obviously, everybody remembers that pick six in the 2019 Iron Bowl. Uh, but we've also seen him blow coverages in, in the Iron Bowl as well. Everybody remembers that game-opening touchdown uh, against the Crimson Tide last season. So he's definitely had a kind of a roller coaster of a career, at least in my mind. But he's he's a talented guy, and when you talk about what this defense is going to do better this season which is communicate and going to learn how to get left to right something that smoke monday has issues with is getting to the left and right side of the field uh quickly i think you're going to see improvement out of this kid and again he is still an exceptional talent you're talking about that lateral quickness the ability to change direction the there's not a lot of agility there's not a lot of movement in those hips for smoke monday it was kind of rigid but with that being said i do think he is one of the more athletic players on this defense and he's one of the more versatile players on this defense you talk about the pick sixes that he's had in his career there's obviously speed there there's obviously the ability to read a quarterback's eyes and jump around and go and make an interception like that and then to be able to take it to the house you have to have some speed you have to have the ability to handle the football he's got good ball skills the issue is trying to be in the right position at all the right times this smoke monday hasn't always been there i believe that he's an adequate run stopper not to mention you can draw up some blitzes for him as he comes up to the line of scrimmage he's a weapon in all of the phases of defensive play smoke monday is one of the more versatile players on this defense and you could see him slot in even at nickelback and we talked about the nickelback position yesterday and zach blackerby of the locked on auburn podcast coming up at 2 30 he will expound upon how he thinks that smoke monday could even play nickel and how Derek mason even talked about that earlier this week but a lot of versatility there from smoke monday a lot to like from smoke monday going into this year really just needs to polish and refine his game because as a safety you are the last line of defense nobody behind you and all too often last year it felt like we were seeing a lot of times receivers getting behind these safeties at least in terms of pass coverage yeah I, I i agree with you there and I, I think there is a lot of room for smoke monday to grow even though he is a really talented kid i think he can make an even an even better uh improvement in terms of a couple of different things in his game obviously the lateral movement in 2020 my number two guy on this list is by darius knighton at the safety spot the reason i don't have Kaufman here at this second spot is simply because knighton has so much experience on Kaufman you look at what he did last season for uh, I believe it's Southeast Missouri State is where he was playing yeah, yeah South- over 200 tackles at SEMO over 200 tackles last year he had 40 in 2019 he had 75 he's he, he's an incredibly experienced kid played so much at the F, uh, FCS level and you bring in a guy that's played five years of college football he's going to be able to find a spot on this roster and based on what I've heard out of camp he could be that number two guy for Auburn there's a position battle there between Bidarius Knighton and Ladarius Tennyson. I like what you said about Kaufman in terms of him having experience over Kaufman, but with that being said, we have to go back to yesterday's show and talk about the nickelback position. I think that he will trade time there with Nehemiah Pritchett, 
but Donovan Kaufman will be on the field a lot this year if not starter quantity like snaps I think Kaufman ends up being a starter on this defense at the nickelback position sharing a lot of that time though too with Nehemiah Pritchett as that slot quarterback or that third cornerback off the bench for Auburn so I do think that we see Kaufman maybe as a third safety just depending on situations and what Auburn wants to do on defense and what Auburn's goal is on a defensive play and where they're trying to direct traffic and whatnot but by Darius Knighton does seem to me at this point and Zach makes a great point about this Ladarius Tennyson was talked about often throughout the spring have we heard anything really about Tennyson throughout the fall no not really but we've heard a decent amount about by Darius Knighton you look into different preview magazines for this upcoming year and Phil Stills one of those guys Phil Still talks with these coaches he interviews these coaches almost every single coach in college football before he puts together his magazine and guess who he's got starting at safety it's got by Darius Knighton starting at safety now I'm not gonna say that it's 100% accurate and no preview magazine is 100% accurate but I do think at this point I agree with you by Darius Knighton is probably going to be that second starting safety for Auburn across the top and what a big change in the tide because a lot of people were kind of down on this guy when he committed to Auburn and it was only so because he was coming from southeast Missouri State I think people would be pleasantly I think people would be pleasantly surprised with by Darius Knighton's play at that second safety spot I agree with you as far as the 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 third guy on my list if it, it depending on where Kaufman and Tennyson kind of kind of slot in at that nickelback spot I have Kaufman or Tennyson as that third guy on my safety list depending on just you know how Kaufman develops as a player because I agree with you I think he's really talented and he's going to see the field in some capacity well there's going to be a lot of rotating across different positions because even smoke Monday could play nickelback I think you could see Ladarius Tennyson play some nickelback but I think he's primarily been shifted over to the safety position so I've got Tennyson as my third safety as getting the most snaps the third most snaps at the safety position this upcoming year because I think that's more of his home rather than the nickelback position whereas Kaufman I do agree with you can share time at both locations once again depending on situations and whatnot and as this team hits the field against Akron and each and every week there will be changes to guys positions based off of tendencies that they see from other teams tendencies that they see from their own team they're just going to gather a whole lot more information from live game settings than they'll possibly be able to get to from fall camp so I do like Tennyson at the moment as that third safety there's just been so much talk about this guy leading up to this year now pretty quiet during fall camp but of course in the spring and even last year about how this guy was just going to be an absolute stud before it was all said and done at Auburn and a lot of people are hyping that up in the spring to be this year I don't know if it's going to be this year because of the influx of players at this position hence by Darius Knighton and Donovan Kaufman committing to the program back during the spring as transfers and then not to mention you also have freshman Amari Harvey who I think is important to mention as the fourth safety here on this list for me I think Amari Harvey if he hadn't dealt with some injuries in the spring maybe you could have seen him get into the mix for some playing time and he very well still could get into the mix for playing time but safety is one of those positions where there's going to be some guys at the top right now for Auburn that are going to share some time because they're that talented but that's not a position group that you really have to sub a whole lot you want to make sure that you have good starters across the top 
and they're typically well-conditioned players. So I don't know how many snaps Omari Harvey's going to be able to find himself out onto the field, but just like Chris Thompson Jr. was able to do in previous seasons, Omari Harvey should get some playing time this year. I will say this about Ladarius Tennyson. We all remember about what what player was it that you and I were talking about how this coaching staff not only brought in one but two uh, transfers to kind of bolster that that position. Well, there's a lot of positions where that there happened. Was one, there was one. There was one specific guy that you and I were talking about earlier this summer. It might have. It might have. Honestly, it might have been. I think qu- I was talking about quarterback, quarterback because this coaching staff was hired and they get the commitment of holding Jariner. I'm going with Jariner right now. It could be Jariner. I don't know. They get the commitment of holding Jariner, and then they also go out and go and get T.J. Finley in the transfer portal. They didn't just get one guy to come in. They brought in two guys right, for so the quarterback position. My point being. With Tennyson, they not only brought in one guy, but they brought in two guys that are inter- interchangeable and could play where he would have p- potentially played for Auburn this season. And we've not heard anything about him during fall camp. Is he going to be a guy at some point? Sure, maybe next season. But based on what this coaching staff has done and based on what we're hearing out of fall camp, I could see potentially Tennyson slide down on that depth chart just a little bit. Sure, and I've said this throughout the week, and as we've done this preseason depth chart series, you have to value in way maybe a little bit heavier the guys that this coaching staff brought in through the transfer portal. At least that's my own perspective on this because they sought these guys out for whatever reason. Maybe they thought that they could help the football team, but you don't just transfer to another program if you're not expecting to get playing time there and rather quickly so I'm not saying that promises were made to any of these guys that transferred in that they were going to play but I definitely think the impression is that they are going to have a chance to get onto the field rather quickly and there's a mutual respect for both the player and from the coach because this coaching staff had to had to seek these guys in the transfer portal whether they thought they could help the team or they thought they had a need at those positions and they needed to fill it, or maybe you know switching to a different scheme, they wanted a player of a specific skill set and a, and a specific archetype to maybe fill a need that maybe they didn't have the ability to switch into the scheme without the player. For whatever reason, this coaching staff felt like these guys would improve the program, and you don't just go and get transfers if they're not expecting to play rather quickly, or at least the player won't transfer into the program, I'm sure, because most of the times you've already spent one or two years at the collegiate level, you're looking to play. And when you're talking about Bidarius Knighton, Bidarius Knighton has one year left. This is it. This is his last year of college football. I imagine he's coming to Auburn because he's expecting to play and expecting to play a lot, whereas Ladarius Tennyson still has a lot of tread left on those tires in the form of years left in collegiate eligibility. My 5A and my 5B. Oh, you went that deep? <laughs> I, 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 I put some oars on the, this depth chart. Uh, my, my 5A and my 5B is uh, it is Amari Harvey and then Zion Puckett as my Puckett second made it onto my list. Yeah, so Amari Harvey, four-star safety coming out of Tallahassee, Florida. Extremely talented player. Would love to see him get involved with Auburn defensively this season. And then Zion Puckett's a reserve guy that's been here uh, for, for about a year now, about two seasons actually, uh, had 15 tackles last season. He's not really seen the field a whole lot. I don't expect him to see the field much this season. I see a lot of upside in Harvey, though, simply because he, he's that four-star four star kid uh, coming out of Florida. Really excited to see what he does for Auburn in the upcoming years. Zion Puckett, Amari Harvey, guys that could get onto the field a little bit in limited snaps, but early on in the season you could see these guys against Akron and Alabama, against Alabama State due to 
I think you're going to get to those third stringers in those ball games. I think you're going to get to the third string spots on the depth chart because of how lopsided those scores will be and how lopsided those scores will be rather early on in the ball game. I, I think you know by the time you get to the third quarter, you could begin to see some backups trickle into the ball game if the score is lopsided enough. And those two teams are bad enough for Auburn to be able to do that. Just depends on how far along this offense is and how how polished it is at this point do they know the offense well they're clicking on all cylinders are they you know avoiding mistakes if they're moving the ball at will and doing everything that they want to do on the offensive side of the football I think you'll get to that point where it's that big of a lead where you can get into some backups in the third quarter and then even all the way to the third string spots and get some really really young guys freshmen onto the field that you're not going to see after those first two weeks really that much but you're going to get a little bit of them they're going to get their opportunity to at least impress their coaches one thing to be said here the nickelback position is really key and maybe we should have included that today because I think it's closely linked to the safety position this year maybe more so than it has been in previous seasons Christian Tunt was not a safety and it was pretty hammered down who was going to be playing the nickelback spot in this previous regime honestly it was pretty hammered down who was going to be playing every spot there wasn't a whole lot of competition there wasn't a whole lot of substituting on the defensive side of the football other than the defensive line in that second and third level there was not a whole lot of substituting going on this year I think that there is a lot of interchangeability between the nickelback position and the safety spot you're going to see Smoke Monday you're going to see Nehemiah Pritchett you're going to see Bidarius Knight you're going to see Ladarius Tennyson you're going to see Donovan Kaufman all moving between whether they're being closer to the line of scrimmage or further away from the line of scrimmage I think you're going to see a lot of movement there between those players depending on what Auburn's trying to do from a game plan perspective against whoever they're playing against on a week-to-week basis versatility and showing different looks showing different fronts that's the key for this Auburn defense this upcoming year and that's what Derek Mason wants to do by six seven and eight Trey Elston Malcolm Askew and then Caden Bridges and that's the entire depth chart that's all I got Trey Elston was a player of the game in the spring game absolutely local Auburn high product a high till I die represent good for him uh, he's uh he uh he made my uh my depth chart here my my projected depth chart have no idea where he's going to be playing if he's going to be playing at all for the Tigers this season but yeah like you said earlier in a blowout game we could see some of these freshmen some of these younger players some of these inexperienced players get on the field and, and uh show what they're made of let's take a quick break here when we come back I'm gonna drive the dagger in again my man end of the show yesterday I left you with a really tough question on in on the fence or out our specialty segment and we'll explain that when we come back going to be choosing who we like the most out of some of these trios of teams some really tough decisions coming up for lance you're listening to on the line back on on the line noah gardner and lance Dahl with you on espn 106.7 and fox sports central alabama Got about 10 minutes till we have Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast joining us. Good 20-minute conversation we'll have with him about this Auburn defense and a little bit about the offensive line. A lot of great insights about fall camp. Yesterday's show, we played in, on the fence, or out. It is a variation of start, bench, cut. You know, that fun game that people will play where they select three players. You have to start one, bench one, cut one. I've changed this a little bit around for some different scenarios We've had some other variations. Now we're on in, on the fence, or out. And this is in terms of projecting college football teams for this upcoming year. And you may be in on all three of these teams, but I'm going to make you be on the fence or out for the sake of this ball game. And you and I 
talked about this one for about a minute yesterday. I drove the dagger in, and you like all three of these teams a lot, so I'm making you have some hard decisions here. Wisconsin, Miami, Indiana. This is 15, 16, and 17 in the preseason coaches' poll. You got to be in on one team, on the fence on one, and out on the other. And again, yesterday's show, uh, if you've listened to the show at all, you know how excited I am about the Indiana Hoosiers this upcoming season. But my gut said at the end of yesterday's show that I should be in on Wisconsin, I should be on the fence on Miami, and I was out on Indiana. And after doing a little bit of research today, I still hold that opinion. But I put in my notes... Whenever I, I put down, I'm out on Indiana, I put in parentheses, for the moment, I'm going to see if Noah can sell me on it. But here's my, here's my reasoning for why I'm in on Wisconsin real quick. Like you and I talked about just a couple of days ago, might have been yesterday, they have a very easy schedule. They get three of their toughest opponents at home in Penn State, Iowa, and Northwestern. Or Michigan, whichever team you think is more of a threat. Um, they have an incredibly threat. Threat. They they uh, have an incredibly weak division. There was only one other team out of their division ranked in the preseason coaches poll. It's probably going to be the same way for the AP poll. The other team was Iowa. They bring back 15 total returning starters. Wisconsin does seven on offense, eight on defense. Really excited to see what Graham Mertz does in we in, in year two. And that easy schedule should help him develop. Wisconsin, I'm easy in on. You just hit all the right points. Super easy schedule. When Wisconsin doesn't have to play Ohio State in the regular season, buckle up. They could go 11 and 1, 12 and 0. And I leave the door open for them to lose one or two ball games in the regular season because I don't know if I totally trust Graham Mertz to run the table with a Wisconsin football team. But if he does have an off game or two, this defense is still great enough. And one of the best defenses last year in all of college football. It's still great enough with a lot of their starters coming back. It's still great enough for them to win football games when he can only put up like 20 points. That's how good this Wisconsin defense is and how bad this Wisconsin schedule is. So I'm in on Wisconsin right now, looking at a 10-2, 11-1 type of regular season, maybe even 12-0 and because I think they are better than every team on their schedule at this point. But once again, the better teams doesn't always win in college football. Indiana's the team that I'm on the fence with, and a big part of that is the division that they play in. They do have to play Ohio State. They do have to play Penn State. They they play in the tougher division in the Big Ten, and not to mention they open the year up against a tough cross-divisional opponent in Iowa, and they have to do that on the road. So the schedule gives me pause for Indiana, and then also their star quarterback from last year, Michael Penix, the freshman last season, or kind of a sophomore, it just depends on how these teams handled that COVID year. Penix coming back, he was phenomenal for him last year. A big reason why they were able to take such a huge step forward and go 6-2. and two. He's coming off of an injury. I'm a little bit on the fence in terms of that, but you look at the Indiana football team, they bring back 17 starters. And when you look at their roster up and down, I see a lot of sophomores and juniors that are returning starters and a few seniors sprinkled in here and there. One of the best names that I've seen in college football up to this point, Marcelino Ball McCrary. That's an exceptional linebacker name, and it's actually called the Husky position for the Indiana Hoosiers. What, what a phenomenal name. There's some really good names, actually, on this Indiana roster. I'm not going to go up and down with that, but there, there are a lot of upperclassmen now that were young last year that were sophomores and even a lot of freshmen last year that started that are now getting their second year 
I think that tells you that this team can only get better, that they are now beginning their upward ascent. That last season may have been a year where they were ahead of schedule. This is a year where they can easily they can easily do what they did last year. And you look at the teams that they beat a season ago. They beat Penn State to open up the year in overtime, and they weren't a one-hit wonder, went on to beat teams that traditionally recruit better than them. Michigan, Michigan State, of course, both of those schools were down. But what is even more impressive, possibly, is the fact that they only lost by seven points to the runner-up in college football last year in Ohio State. They went toe-to-toe with Ohio State. This wasn't one of those fairy tales like Northwestern has where they might start off 5-0 and and then they go and play against Ohio State and they get shellacked. No, Indiana went toe-to-toe with them. Of course, Penix Jr. gets hurt and now you move on and they still found a way to win two games against teams that were relatively tricky at the time that they played them. Maryland with Talia Tagovailoa, they were not an easy out in the conference last year. With a backup quarterback, you would have expected Indiana to maybe struggle a bit. Indiana ends up winning that game 27-11. The defense puts on a show. And then they even beat Wisconsin with a backup quarterback. Now, of course, they only scored 14 points, but once again, the defense got it done and shut down Wisconsin to six points. So there's a lot to like about this team. They're a complete squad. Of course, they did lose to Ole Miss in the bowl game. Once again, I go back to backup quarterback. Ole Miss should be able to find 26 points against any defense in college football. They're that good, so I don't really fault Indiana for losing that bowl game. They're back, they're healthy, they're experienced, and they, unlike Miami, actually beat some good football teams last year. Even with adverse situations, you can't name one good team that Miami beat last year because they didn't. They got blown out against the good teams that they played with the exception of Oklahoma State in the bowl game. There's a more complete team at Indiana. I don't trust the Miami defense either. Gave up 27 points per game. Of course, 19 starters come back for Miami this upcoming year. And I think the offense will be good, but I still just don't trust this Miami football team. And honestly, this may be a bit of a dig, but the best point of all that I may have here is that Rhett Lashley is a disciple of Gus Malzahn, and I can't trust that offense against any good defenses. Ouch ouch that hurts Rhett but it's the truth look at how they performed against Clemson look at how they performed against North Carolina 26 points against UNC only 17 points against Clemson I can't take this team seriously if that's the best offensive production that they can put out there Derek King is a good quarterback but I think he is limited from a passing standpoint by this system that still heavily if you look at heat maps still heavily features either a screen pass or a 50-yard bomb. There is no in-between. This is the Gus Malzahn passing tree. I cannot trust that. The reason that I like all three of these teams is because I think they all have upside in, in, in different places. To talk about Indiana for a second, like you mentioned, they've got 17 total starters returning. Now, here to play devil, devil's advocate, here's why I might have some concerns with Indiana. Their offense was not incredible last season. They were 94th nationally in total yards per game. They didn't have a running game. And like you mentioned, uh, Michael Penix was hurt for those last two games. I really hope he's healthy this season because I think, again, I think Indiana's going to be good. But again, just to play devil's advocate, on the other side of that, their turnover margin was plus eight, and their defense was pretty good. They bring back nine starters off of that defense that only allowed 20 points a game. But they can't rely on their defense to keep them in ball games this season. And you talk about last last season being a weird year, being a COVID year, being a year where everybody was down. I'm curious to see if they can get through this schedule, which again is iffy if we believe Indiana overachieved last season. This schedule is iffy if they can get through that, and this offense continue to to be to be decent. You know what I'm saying? And uh, like uh, I, I just think that. 
Last year was just kind of weird. Again, just to play devil, devil's advocate, I don't know if they could do the replicate the exact same thing this year. Quick question to you. If Indiana beats Iowa on the road, I think you will give them an easy win against Idaho, obviously, the next week. But if they beat Cincinnati in week three, if they're 3-0 and after the first three weeks, is this team in an outside shot for a college football playoff position? They still got to play Ohio State. But after those first three games, there's really only one game that I have scheduled on there that I think could give Indiana some real issues, and that's Ohio State, obviously. But they get them at home. And this is why I like Indiana, Noah. <laughs> this is why I like Indiana. Is so why of, are you out on them? Be out on Miami. Because Miami brings back 20 starters. They ah, bring back 20 starters. Ah. They have one true road test outside of Alabama. That's a neutral site game. They have one true road test against North Carolina. Their offense brings back 11 guys. They, they should be easy better. Easy schedule. It is an easy schedule, though. You're right. It's not like they're playing Clemson this year. They don't have to. All these teams are good. I love them. I don't, don't want to say any of them are bad. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Zach Blackerby with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Thursday edition of the show, Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast with us. Zach, how you doing today, my man? I'm always good when I'm on the line with you guys. Uh, how are you, my friend? Doing really well. You're always our biggest advocate. Guest coming on the show, people love doing it. But man, you sell it. You sell it when you come on. Uh, being on the line, that's right, with Noah Garner and Lance Dahl. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Heck yeah. Well, let's get into it. We are almost done with the first full week of fall camp. It started last Friday, of course. We're on to Thursday, so a day away, six days in to fall camp for right. Auburn football. The news that drops this week is Tyrone Truesdale no longer with the team. Yep. Of course, this happens every fall camp. You go and you check to see who's there, who's not, and Tyrone Truesdale was that lone guy this year, and he's no longer with the program. What do you make of this situation? Uh, I think the way that they approach this offseason with getting all those transfers, and at the time we were so surprised because it's like, man, they're getting all these defensive guys. I thought the defense was kind of good. I thought the offense would kind of need help. And this is part of the reason why they do all of that. They get all these really talented guys, and then they let the chips fall. And part of letting the chips fall this fall was uh, was was Truesdale transferring out. And there's so many different you know rumors going around of you know what exactly happened. And the bottom line doesn't matter. Um, but you look at a guy that they brought in, Tony Fair. Uh, it seems like it is his time to step up the transfer from UAB. And it sounds like he's been pretty impressive. You know, talking. You know, you, you hear some of um, some of the other defenders that have been made available to the media. They talk very highly of him. They talk very highly of Marcus Harris, Eculiota. So a lot of these guys up front defensively that were acquired over the off season, they've really helped this defense out throughout fall camp so far. So Truesdale leaving. You know, I never want to be that guy that's like, oh, this two year starter left. It's all going to be okay. It's not that big of a deal, but. It is going to be okay because they got Tony Fair. Tony Fair's not on this roster. Tony Fair like messes up his knee, God forbid, over the next few days. You don't have a nose tackle. That you, you got to change what you do. You have to change what you do with this three four defensive front. And so uh, you it know, makes lot, the Jeremiah Wright injury a lot more important now. From no the spring. question, no question. And um, you know, a lot of lot of folks throwing out the name Lee Hunter. 
I don't think that's really his role this year. I think he's more of that other defensive tackle spot that's a little more athletic, moves a little bit more. Maybe in third down situations or passing situations, you see a little bit more of him, less of Tony Fair. But he's thirty pounds lighter than what you'd want your nose tackle to be, right? You want your right. nose tackle like three twenty five, three thirty, at, at least you know three fifteen or so, yeah. right? Um, and there's some people saying, who was I talking to? I think it was Hokinson with on three AuburnLive.com. They, uh, I was talking with him, and it sounds like they're trying to get Tony Fair to lose a little bit of weight. Um, now, how much I don't know, but well, did he sound- come in at like three fifty? So I understand that that may be on the extreme I, end. I he was large. Hoke, I think Hoke said he was three thirty. So I mean, that's that's pretty big. That's, that's going to make him dude. move quicker too if he shed that weight. You would think. You would think so. So uh, you know, Truesdale be on the way out. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Auburn's going to be okay. Well, who are the backups here? I know we've mentioned a couple of names, and you're kind of saying that Lee Hunter is going to play more of a true defensive tackle role rather than at nose tackle, right, head up over center. Is this like Marquise Burks? That's who I've looked at because I'm trying to look at weight. I'm trying to look at frame because nose tackle is a very specific position, and very few guys possess that type of size to be able to play that position. Also, speed. Now, the nose tackle position, not necessarily about getting into the backfield and wreaking havoc. It's more about holding down the point of attack and making things ugly in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. Who are, are those guys past Tony Fair, or is Tony Fair going to have to hold this position down it, all year long? Yeah, uh, It's almost Burks by default, but I think some of, um, some of it is, well, there's not a long list of guys, so then I think you have to change possibly how you play when a guy like that's not on the field or you have to give up something somewhere else. Maybe you give up something in the run defense to bolster your pass defense, like a Mar- Marcus Harris from Kansas kind of thing. Maybe a switch from a three-man front to the 2-4-5. Right, exactly. Yeah, and have those two linebackers kind of up on the edge getting ready to blitz because Auburn's got plenty of edge guys where you can do some of that. And on first and 10 against a lot of these teams that Auburn's going to play this year, I think you can get away with that. It's those key running situations. You know, what are you going to do in those? And I think Owen Papo said it uh, when he talked to you guys uh, at SEC Media Days. We're going to see Auburn do five man fronts, and maybe schematically and from a personnel standpoint, that's how you combat some of this. If the loss of Truesdale was that big, but let's don't act like Tyron Truesdale was a menace in the middle of the field. I mean, Auburn's weakness last year, and it wasn't just Truesdale, but the offensive line and defensive line, they got pushed around a ton last year. I mean, that was the weakness of this roster on both sides of the football. So let's don't act like his 300-plus pound frame was enough. Somebody tweeted at me um, yesterday because on Locked on Auburn, we talked about... You got to be mean, man. You got to be mean. You can't teach nasty, is what they said. Yeah, I saw, and, that same, I saw that same response. And it's correct. You can't. And did Tyron Truesdale have that nastiness in him? I don't think he did. I don't think he did. That's nothing against him. It's just, I don't think that's there. Does Lee Hunter have that nasty? I think so. Does Ecu Leota have it? I think so when he's given the opportunity. Do, you know, do guys like Derek Hall have it? Yeah, I think they do. So... So much of this offseason, I mean, the talking point throughout fall camp has been culture, 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 culture. And it's little things like that that slowly contribute to that over time. Because you look at you look at all the comments from all the offensive players, and what's the word you hear over and over and over again about this offense? Downhill. Downhill, downhill. And it's like, of course, every time you run the ball, you want it to be a downhill-style thing. But their big picture viewpoint of this downhill thing is a mindset right is you know you want to instill this mindset of running downhill every single play 
when you're a part of this offense. And so on both sides of the football, it's all about finding that nasty, finding that you know ability to move other guys instead of you being pushed around like they were last year on both sides of the ball. Throughout high school football, throughout college football, up close, I've seen coaching changes. I've seen several throughout my life up to this point. Sure. And with the installment of a new culture, a lot of times, and in these programs that I've seen be successful, because pretty much every coaching change up to this point I have seen in some way produce success down the line, they bought into the culture 100%. And I saw it take effect rather rather immediately if it wasn't the first year it was by year two with a new crop of players new starters coming in and whatnot guys latch on to that new culture what I've seen be an issue and what we saw at Auburn with Gus Malzahn they bought into the culture right away yeah the issue was maintaining that culture throughout the seven eight years and it it not getting stale for me that creates a lot of excitement because I think there is going to be nasty. I actually disagree a little bit. I, I think you can teach some of that nastiness. Okay. I think you can teach some of that toughness. I think you can create that mentality because that's what it is. It's a mentality. You need to get them thinking that. You need to get them acting like that. You need to get them playing like that. And this team, just simply put, wasn't mentally or really that physically tough over the last couple of years. I think part of this new culture and what excites me so much is early on you see new programs – or, or, or programs with new coaching staffs, the players latch onto that culture right away. That's what excites me because I'm expecting a meaner Auburn football team this year. Uh, they're going to have to be. They're going to have to be to be successful and to be successful in running the type of offense that they want to do. I, I'm not worried about the defensive side of the football. Maybe that's ignorance, but I really think the front seven's so deep. Derek Mason's going to be able to mix and match things until he gets it right, and he's got a few weeks to get it right until Penn State. So the defensive side of the ball, I'm not worried about. The offensive side of it, I mean, it looks like, based on what we saw with practice yesterday, it's pretty much the same offensive line that was there a year ago. And how much of it, um, I mean, how big of a step can they take together? And I don't know I don't know what it is. I mean, last year, they were overhyped, and I think this year, they're a little underrated. Now, are they good? I don't know. But I think they're going to be an average SEC offensive line when it's all said and done, you just got a lot of dudes on this offensive line that have had trouble staying healthy. And that's a concern, especially when the offensive line is more about the unit as a whole than these individual pieces. And so if they finally click and get that chemistry going, I hope they can all stay healthy. And hopefully, yeah, they get a mean streak in them. They're all talking about the mentality. Maybe it's uh, maybe it has shifted. Troxel was a starter at left tackle in one of the first media viewing windows I think it was actually the first media viewing window because we had Christian Clemente on last Friday talking about it it was Troxel left guard was Tayshawn Manning then center still Nick Brahms you know preseason first team (laughs) Nick Brahms right guard wild Brandon Council and then right tackle Broderius Ham do you think there's going to be any other shakeups there's a slight change to that yesterday in the viewing period left tackle starter was Alec Jackson so the starting line from last year and that makes sense that they put him back there to at least try him because they're going to continue to shake around these offensive lines and whatnot. Because yeah. in that first viewing window of fall camp, he was at left guard. And believe it or not, that's where your Phil Still magazine has Alec Jackson sitting at on this team as a backup left guard. Yeah, and it kind of whenever Phil Steele does that kind of thing, I mean, he talks to the coaches. Exactly. I'm like, what inside information do you have? Right. Right. It's like, was, was that brought up? Does Brian Harson view him as a guard? Like, that's interesting. And I think his frame and his build he looks like a guard to me but so does Brodarius Ham 
But it's not like you can just move him to guard. One, is he better than Tayshaun Manning or Brandon Council or even Keandre Jones? But also, the other aspect of it is um, who are you going to put at tackle? Like, there's not, like, let's don't act like there's a ton of choices at left tackle. Well, most of the tackles look like guards, as you just said. Yeah. And then you got the <laughs> Juco guys, and like, it seems like they've just kind of lagged behind Troxel and, and Alec Jackson. So, yeah, I mean, Council's played both sides of the ball, it looks like, or both sides of the offensive line. Seems like everybody's moved around. Tayshawn Manning's played left guard and right guard. Everybody's played different positions. Ham's played tackle and guard. Nick Brahms has just kind of stayed put at center, it looks like, which makes sense, as you pointed out, first-team SEC center. Do you buy all of this stuff out there about Bo Nix truly having taken major steps forward here throughout the offseason? Because he's saying it, Bobo's saying it. There seems to be a lot of optimism about the quarterback position and how Bo Nix is soaking up the new teachings of offensive coordinator Mike Bobo. Yes, I do buy it, but... There's a caveat here because you can get it. You can grasp the offense. You can look great in practice. You can make all the throws. It sounds like there was um, a drill yesterday that he really excelled on with footwork and then, you know, nailing a target downfield after stepping through some ladders. And that's all going to be stuff that Bo Nix is good at. I mean, he's a very athletic quarterback. But the thing, the thing is, is like when, when everything is against you and things break down, that's when you see who you are. And that's when Bo Nix runs out of the pocket. Did he change that in an offseason? Is you know the sound coaching of Mike Bobo and Brian Harson enough to change that in an offseason to fix his mechanics and all that? Sounds like they've been working on it, but is that enough time to fix that? Can you fix that in one offseason? And we'll know very early. We'll know at week three when they go to Penn State. What about the other quarterbacks? Because for a so-called quarterback competition, it's crickets everywhere uh, this, else. As soon as he announced that Bo Nix was going to represent Auburn at Media Days, that was it. Like, it's done. The The competition was over as far as I'm concerned. But man, it sounds like Finley's really impressing. Uh, it sounds like he hit a lot of beautiful deep balls yesterday at practice. And so you need Finley to have just enough to where Bo Nix can't let off the gas. But a lot of people saying it's great that Bo Nix is competing Work ethic was never an issue for Bo Nix. That's not that, that's not what happened and steered Bo Nix the wrong direction last year, maybe even the year prior to that. I think it's scheme. I think it's overall development. It's not work ethic. He's doing what his coaches tell him to do. He's watching film like crazy. That's that's not it. But um, you know, he, he, it seems like he likes pressure. We'll see what that looks like moving forward. But it sounds like Finley's over uh, overperformed. Uh, I think he's really come in and been like a sponge soaking it all in. And you can't miss him. The guy's huge. <laughs> That's right. A lot of folks, a lot of Auburn fans are like, that guy looks like Cam Newton. I'm like, hold on a minute. Yeah. This guy cannot run very well. He's uh, a pocket no. passer. Right. And Cam's two inches shorter. So there's that. Yeah. Good gracious. He looks more like a defensive end. He's huge. He doesn't look like a quarterback until you watch him throw, and it's like, oh, he's got a good arm. Looking at the defensive side of the football again, yesterday we talked about cornerbacks at length, and this is one of the deepest, if not the deepest, cornerback group in the entire SEC. What do you like about this group so much? What is What are the strengths before we get to weaknesses? Of the corners? Yes, the cornerbacks, um, excluding so, safety. Sure, so Roger McCreary special, Dreshawn Miller, uh, could start in pretty much any college team that he wants to, and he chose to be the number two guy to Roger McCreary. You haven't heard much about those guys, which is a good thing. That's how I like my corners. I don't want my corners name to be mentioned once. So both those guys are really, really impressive. Nehemiah Pritchett's playing all over the field, including outside corner, getting some reps there, which is fun. The thing I dislike about the corners 
is there's going to be a reality where Jalen Simpson doesn't get as many snaps as he should. But the guys ahead of them are just good. They're very, very good. And Jalen Simpson's going to have a chance to be the guy next year, which is going to be really, really fun to see that development. And Auburn's long line of having really solid number one corners continue through Jalen Simpson. But as far as weaknesses, last year, really the whole era of the Kevin Steele defense, the corners really struggled in zone. The defensive back, the defense as a whole struggled in zone. So... What does that transition look like? Because Derek Mason's going to want to run more of that, not just bump and run stuff on the outside. So if I, I'm really nitpicking here because I think they're going to have all that sorted out because they're going to do it more often, so they're going to get more reps at it. But if I had to guess, that's the weakness of this team, is, uh, or of the corner specifically. Outside of man, how can you cover? What do you think about them as run stoppers? Because something that I observed last season, maybe I teed in on – too many mistakes and maybe there weren't as many as I thought but looking at last year it seemed like and I'm not talking about making a tackle after someone made a reception because these guys limited yak that that's the truth right but I mean in terms of taking angles and getting to guys out of the perimeter and making those stops they don't seem to be as good as Jeremiah Denson Steven Roberts Javaris Davis guys that seemed like they were playing with Indiana Jones's lasso in the past right like they just didn't seem as good at that Jalen Simpson I believe through PFF was one of the better tackling corners in football last year so unfortunately we didn't get to see him a whole lot because he was hurt true true I think Nehemiah Pritchett being a rangy guy in the middle of the field makes sense Roger McCreary can do nothing wrong in my eyes so (laughs) I don't know if I necessarily saw that but one thing to remember sure it's always great if the corner makes the tackle but the job is if the play gets to that point is you got to keep them inside of you so because you got help coming. So a lot of corners will just slow them down enough to where linebackers can get there. I mean, that's set an edge. Yeah, that's the ultimate. That's the ultimate job is to, you know, make sure they don't get a 40 yard run down the sideline kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, once again, I think we're nitpicking because this cornerback room is so talented. So so talented. But I feel confident that, you know, the three or four guys that we just talked about, I, I haven't looked at Drayshawn Miller's tackling. I, I don't know about that. But uh, as a whole, I think they're fine in run defense. Looking at the nickelback position, quarterback number three, slot, whatever it's going to be, yeah. there are two guys that seem to be setting themselves apart right now at that spot. And, and maybe they're for different situations and whatnot. Donovan Kaufman, Nehemiah Pritchett, what are the differences here between the two guys, or is there really no difference at all? Right, and this is a guy where I, I thought Bidarius Knighton was going to be that guy. He may end up being the starting safety I think besides you're right. Smoke Monday. I think you're right. And I wouldn't be shocked if you saw Smoke Monday at nickel at times just because I think, um, I think it's worth asking the question in passing situations, who do you want closer to the line of scrimmage? Smoke Monday, Donovan Kaufman, or Bidarius Knighton? And I almost like Kaufman and Knighton more in coverage of Smoke Monday at times. And so you put Smoke close to the line of scrimmage, I think he could be really, really good in that role. Derek Mason kind of hinted at that in his media availability earlier in the week. So that's something to think about, too. I think a lot of people are going to play this position. You mentioned Nehemiah Pritchett. You mentioned Donovan Kaufman. These are all guys that deserve to be on the field a ton. And eventually there's going to be some level of separation because who's the guy that we haven't brought up yet? Ladarius Tennyson, the yeah. guy that we all thought was going to start at this position, got moved to safety in the spring. Pritchett really excelled there in the middle of the field. So he's in a battle with Knighton right now for starting snaps uh, at, at that safety spot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so I, I think Knighton's going to win it. I mean, we have heard nothing 
about Ladarius Tennyson. Which is mind-boggling because we heard everything about Ladarius Tennyson back in the spring. Totally. And Ladarius Tennyson is one of those guys who's like, hold on, this guy's all SEC. Like, this guy's going to be a really special player. But he still could be a special player next year after, you know, Bidarius Knighton goes on and Smoke goes on in the league. But, um, yeah, as far as the, the nickel position goes, I don't think it's going to just be one guy. But the guy who, quote-unquote, may be the starter when it's all said and done, it may be Nehemiah Pritchett. Wouldn't be shocked if it's Donovan Kaufman. Zach, tell everybody where they can find all your great content. Locked on Auburn, available wherever you get your podcasts. Also uh, on YouTube now, if that is your thing. And uh, yeah, you can uh, hear me every weekday morning in the Lee County, Auburn, Opelika area. Auburn, Opelika this morning on News Talk WANI. That's at 98.7 FM. And I'm on Twitter at Z Blackerby. Thanks, Noah. Appreciate it, my man. Back on On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Such a great interview with Zach Blackerby. We took 20 minutes up of his time. We only have a minute here until the end of hour number one. A lot of great insights there, though. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like we talked about before the Zach interview, we could potentially see Smoke playing a little bit at nickel. And it just, it's a testament to the versatility of this defense. And, uh, you know, you talk about wanting to make sure that guys know their spots and that they play their spots and that the star- starters have their positions, but the ability to kind of rotate guys out and to put guys in different spots and for them to be able to play if a safety is playing somewhere else at like nickel, he's comfortable doing that. The versatility there, I think, is really good to have. Switching gears here for just a moment, something that I want to mention. Isaac Okoro is straight balling out right now in the NBA Summer League. He's led in the two games that the Cavs have played. He's led the Cavs in scoring. Now, not necessarily the entire ball game across both teams, but he has led the Cavs in scoring. Some monster dunks in the first two games as well. He posterized someone yesterday. Growing in his role, I think, is going to definitely help him as he progresses in the NBA. And now with... Colin Sexton out in Cleveland. He was traded away. The role grows. Isaac Okoro, a beast. Hour number two coming up. You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on the Thursday edition of the show on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the content the show's putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Try to keep the site populated with a lot of content and this time of year, If you've got press conferences that you want to go watch, whether it be Auburn or Alabama, it's going to be there. And Auburn's had some players hit the podium today, including Bo Nix. We'll have that uploaded to the site after I get off the show here at 4 p.m. And then it'll be the drive with Bill Cameron from 4 to 6. So once again, RadioAlabamaSports.net. Also, a lot of great local high high school sports content as well. As far as local schools here, Auburn and Lee Scott. 
We have a lot of great content there from those two programs. In addition to that, going up to the Sylacauga area for our Fox Sports Central Alabama listeners out there. If you're in that Talladega County area, we've got all of that stuff. Sylacauga, Childersburg, B.B. Comer, Fayetteville. That's the name of the game with us here at Radio Alabama Sports. We love our high school sports content. And I can't tell you, I, I can't tell you how excited I am, man. I am a week away from the start of high school football season on the Lee Scott Sports Network, presented by the Orthopedic Clinic as the Lee Scott Warriors take on Chambers Academy next Thursday night. Briefly tell me, does Lee Scott have a chance in that game? Explain yes. how. Why, how are you going to hate like that, bro? Yes, no, they I was do. Not, I was not hating. I just want you to break it down for me. <laughs> give me. Give me a brief preview. Well, look, Chambers Academy is the state champion from last year's I, I believe it was 2a I know they've been a 1a program for quite some time and honestly I need to check whether a 1a or 2a they did win the state championship last year and Lee Scott had a first round playoff exit last season first year for head coach Buster Daniel and being at practice for these first two seasons under Buster Daniel let me tell you man they are growing they're getting better they're faster they're stronger they're more focused this team, this program at least, Scott, it is on a massive upward trajectory right now, and I'm super excited for this upcoming year. And they're, they're, just, they're flying around on defense. They're making plays on the ball on offense. A lot more, lot more threats at skill positions. It, it is going to be an exciting year for Lee Scott football. With that being said, first three games, man, if I had to equate that to – if I had to equate a schedule – to to an to in, in SEC realm and SEC parameters, Lee Scott opening up against Chambers Academy, Glenwood, and Pike Liberal Arts. That would be like opening up against Georgia, Alabama, and Florida. That that would be like what you're opening up against. Glenwood and Pike actually played in the state championship game last year. Glenwood won the state championship at the three A levels. You're talking about state championship teams in the first two games, and then Pike was the runner up brutal open but after that man Lee Scott could could run the table honestly after the first three games you got really tough games in the first three and Lee Scott's got a chance at every single one of them there but after go. the first three you got a real shot to run the table Lee Scott's gonna be good this year there you go I want quickly I want to get to a text that we missed yesterday and I think it was an interesting question and it won't I don't think it'll take very long to answer who's more likely to win a national championship for Auburn first Bruce Pearl or Brian Harson? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you this, the basketball team's a legit national champion. Like, they're a legit contender this upcoming year. They're a contender for the national championship. Next year, I don't know what that looks like because I think there's going to be some heavy roster turnover after this year for the NBA draft. But, of course, Bruce Pearl's recruiting out of this world at the moment. So, basketball, it's much harder to win a national championship. The ball has to bounce your right way at the right way. You have to get the right calls, as we all know. <laughs> you know, like, Auburn was – Auburn – honestly was playing like the best team in the country across the last four minutes of that final four basketball game against Virginia and at that moment when Auburn when Auburn had that lead Auburn fans everywhere were believing oh man we're gonna do it we're going to win a national championship yeah and then it was swiftly taken away at the hands of poor officiating but and a clutch a clutch couple shots from Virginia but at the end in the the day it was the uh the officiating should the the shot should have never even happened right you know exactly Auburn's going to be in the mix and in basketball the ability to win championships comes down to how often are you in the mix how often are you truly a contender because the best team in college basketball does not always win the national championship doesn't always happen the best four teams in college basketball do not always make the final four that's obvious a 68 team tournament is not going to always produce 
the best team of the country as your national champion at the end of the season just because basketball is such a you know that you could get a bad bounce you know just any there's so many variables in basketball even even more different variables than you have in football where the better team doesn't always win and you can get different outcomes and and all it takes is that one bad day the one day where your shot's not there and you are going to go home even if you were the best team for 99 percent of the college basketball season I think we see that most years actually so rounding back to the answer to this question where he said which team do I think is going to win a national championship first that that was the question right which which one do I think is more likely to win a national championship first or which one do I think will happen who's more likely to win a national title for Auburn first Pearl or Harson? I'm still going to go with Pearl, despite I think the fact that I think the degree of difficulty is much higher. I agree. But I, but I will still go with Pearl. I agree. Considering it's happening this season, I mean this this question seems is is pretty easy for me. National title for Pearl this year. Did they say who the text was from? Uh, it's from Cameron. Cameron, appreciate it, my man. Thanks for texting in to the show. Continue to text us, and the text line is 334-564-1840. Anybody out there want to provide their thoughts, their questions, their takes? That's the way to reach out to us, 334-564-1840, or call us at 334-321-1390. I still want to kind of expound upon that a little bit more, though, because I want to go to the football side of this. We talked about the degree of difficulty with basketball. The thing is, I think Auburn basketball recruiting is getting Auburn to the point now where they can get a five-star every class, maybe even more than that. I'm saying at least they can get a five-star every class, and Auburn is going to have teams that are going to have them in the mix in the national title contention they're going to be a they're going to be a top 16 team in the country most years which gets you in the mix to have a shot to go on a run and win a national championship we saw that back a couple of years ago in 2019 Auburn's going to be in the mix I think over these next you know five to ten years under Bruce Pearl and however long his tenure goes on beyond that as long as Bruce Pearl's got these guys recruiting like this, Auburn's going to be in the mix, and then eventually, one time, you're going to hit, right? So I do think a national championship could come for Auburn basketball in the next 10 to 15 years. If it doesn't, then it may never come, right? At least not in my lifetime. Football, on the other hand, all it takes is one year for the stars to align for you to win a national championship. And we've seen that at Auburn all too well in two seasons, and of course Auburn only won it one of those two seasons, but they got there in 2013 in addition to winning it in 2010 we've seen it with lsu with them winning it in 27 uh excuse me 2019 you look at it there are a couple teams that maybe aren't in the mix every year but all it takes is for one season for the stars to align and you win a national championship so it's a lot easier on the football side but recruiting wise auburn's going to be the mix in basketball that's why i made that my answer more so than auburn football at the moment yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. And then as far as the football thing, in terms of like the stars aligning, all it takes is for, you know, Bo Nix to be entering his, uh, his fifth year senior, uh, fifth year as a senior uh, in 2023. Auburn's got Georgia and Bama at home. They've got a lot of receiver production coming back. Somehow Tank has not entered the NFL draft and he's still here. Jarquez Hunter is one of the best backups in the entire nation. You know, this defense has reloaded. And, and Auburn's rolling, and Bo Nix has really found his footing in this Mike Bobo ops offense, and then you, you take off from there. You know, it, there, there's definitely opportunity down the road for, for Auburn football, but the way, the way that Auburn basketball is, is positioning itself and solidifying itself as one of the better programs in the country, at least Pearl's trying to establish that right now, is so impressive. And I think as long as Pearl's here, Auburn's going to be in the mix. 
Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Which do you think is more likely to win a national championship? Brian Harson's football team or Bruce Pearl's basketball team? And I don't mean this year. I just mean first one to get there and win it. Brian Harson and the football team or Bruce Pearl and the men's basketball team. What are your thoughts on that? Once again, number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. And I'll add to that, too, another question. If you had to only choose one to win the national championship, Uh. I knew you were trying to have me avoid this, but if you could only choose one of those teams to win the national championship, which would you choose? And I'm not going to say for forever. That is not a question that, that I'm putting which, parameters for forever. I just mean over the next, let's say, I'll say next 10 years, one of those teams can win a championship. I'm going coach, basketball. Which coach? I'm going basketball, man. Explain why basketball. Because Auburn hasn't won it in basketball. And that would be so cool. And also, like, the season goes on for longer, so you get to experience a good basketball regular season for four or five months. Then you get to the NCAA tournament, and the moments that come from seeing your team advance year in, and or excuse me, week in and week out. I, I don't know why I went year in and year out, but seeing your team advance on a week in and week out, a game in and game out basis when it comes to tournament time, experiencing that in 2019 was thrilling. It was, it was encapsulating. It was so much fun. And then going to Toomer's Corner and celebrating each of those wins and Toomer's Corner getting even more and more crowded each and every weekend that Auburn advanced to the tournament. I mean, it really started going wild. Sweet 16 when Auburn thumped North Carolina. And then it got it got even crazier two days later on that Sunday when Auburn punched its ticket to the Final Four after they beat Kentucky in the Elite Eight. Yeah, ground was literally shaking. To see, to see this program do that and do something in which that they've never done before that that is what I that's why I'm going with basketball over football we've seen them do it at football and we've seen them do it recently and 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 I and I put the stipulation and you put the stipulation that you had to choose between these coaches Brian Hartson or Bruce Pearl I'm choosing Bruce Pearl because I still think Auburn could be really successful in football not winning a national championship and we've seen Bruce Pearl get this program to this point Let's go and win it in basketball, and then we'll figure out in football one day. But I kind of have this vibe that if if Bruce Pearl doesn't win a title at Auburn at the moment, when will it happen in my lifetime? I'm tired of waiting. Let's let's get it now, right? Which one would you choose? I think I think basketball. I think basket. It's really really tough for me, but I think basketball for all the reasons that you stated. You were a lot younger when Auburn won the national championship at football, so that's a little bit different. Yeah, I guess. I just I. Because I, I remember it vividly. I remember watching it happen, but I don't remember feeling any sort of way about it. You were young. You were young, and, and that, that was like me with Auburn's 2004 football team. I remember seeing it and experiencing it and, and seeing everybody be happy and watching them, but like football didn't mean as much to me back then. And then as I get older, I got to experience 2010 and whatnot. So in 2013, uh, it's just the roller coaster of emotion for for my lifetime with Auburn football. But let's head to the phone lines now. Spectre on the line with us. Spectre, do you have answers to our questions here? Well, uh, i got a question before I give you an answer. Go for it. When's the last time we've had a basketball championship? Well, we've never won a national championship in basketball. Well, that would be an easy question to answer then. It would be football. So you're you're okay with – so you want to see Auburn win a football national championship instead of a basketball national championship? 
No, that's not what I'm saying. I'd, I'd love to see Auburn win a national championship in basketball. I think he's answering but which one. Like if you're asking me which one is more likely to uh, win one. I got you. Yes. Okay. We were just talking about just a moment ago which one we would, if we had to choose, which one would we rather want? So different question there. Which one, if you had to choose one between Brian Harson or Bruce Pearl, which one would you rather see win a national championship? Oh, I, w- I would definitely go with Bruce Pearl because I, I, I like the man. I like the way he coaches. I like the way he handles himself. So, yeah, I don't know anything about Harson at all. So it um, remains to be seen. But, yeah, I would like to see Bruce Pearl win a national championship. I agree with those points. Football's it's easier to win a national championship than it is in basketball. It, there is something to be said, though, about – the level and talent, though, that Bruce Pearl has brought into the program, not just this year, but previous years, and I think what you can expect beyond this year with the way that Auburn's recruiting right now in this cycle. I mean, five stars are all over the place on campus. At least they were earlier this summer, and of course, recruiting slowing down a bit for everybody, but Auburn's in some real recruiting battles for five stars and multiple ones at that. Auburn's going to be in the mix most years in terms of your listening national championship contenders You'll be talking about Auburn in the same sentences as Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, teams like that. I know they were down last year, but, you know, honestly, most years, those are the teams competing for it. Auburn's going to be in that mix. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Harson, um, I really wish I knew more about him as far as what he's capable of doing with a Power 5 team. Uh, You know, Penn State game is going to really answer a lot of questions for me. And uh, I agree with that. That's the first challenge. The first two games, you're not really going to know anything. Akron and Alabama State's going to be massive blowouts. Yeah, yeah, well, I don't know about blowouts, but he'll he'll have the opportunity to get the right players in the right holes. So, um, yeah, I'll I'll wait for the Penn State game, then I'll, I'll talk to you guys after the Penn State game. Sure. We'll know a lot about this football program after that third game and then even more about after, about them after the fifth game at Baton Rouge. Well, uh, since y'all have already changed subjects, I was going to talk about uh, Bo Nix, but I'll wait for another time when y'all get back on that subject again. Well, whatever. I mean, if you want to go that direction, Inspector, go ahead. Talk to us about it. We're, we're down to talk about it. All right, Bo Nix, uh, five-star quarterback coming into Auburn, and unfortunately – he had an offensive line to work with for two years that absolutely ruined his mechanics. He was he was not able to adapt and improvise and overcome. And uh, his mechanics are totally lost. And and I think that for the last two years, there's there hasn't been a coach on that field that knew how to coach him. With that being said, his dad, Patrick Nix, outstanding quarterback in his time and he's he's a coach to this day why hasn't Patrick Nix got with Bo and said look your mechanics are totally off are totally off you're you're not throwing you're you're not throwing off your back foot you're throwing on he actually reminds me of Johnny Mansell when he starts scrambling around I think he's got that level of playmaking ability you look at that Texas A&M touchdown he scored last year where he made the defensive players flip over his back, and then he scrambled in for the touchdown. I mean, that was honestly, I thought, one of his best plays, if not his best play of the year last year. Yeah. So it remains to be seen what this coaching staff can do with Bo Nix. If they can get him on the right foot, no pun intended, but uh, I I would like to see him have an outstanding year. 
I think Auburn's going to need them to have an outstanding year if they're going to take any kind of step forward. I agree with you, Specter. Yeah. But anyway, that's about all I got today, guys. Appreciate it. Be sure to call us back tomorrow. Thank you. That was Specter on the line with us. Yeah, I want to touch on that for a moment. Bringing up Bo Nix. Look, I'm sure, considering you know my you know I, I I'm not obviously I don't know what Bo Nix's conversations are like with his dad, but I'd be I'd, I'd find it hard to believe if, if Bo Nix's dad wasn't telling him, uh, it wasn't watching him play, it wasn't telling him you know after ball games. Hey man, this is how you can get better. You know, right, right. You just gotta focus and have a little fun. That's all I'm saying. Specter brings up the offensive line. I like that. This was something that I was thinking about during his call. We mention a lot that Bo Nix has now had, this is now the third different offensive coordinator that he's had in as many years that he's been on campus. He's had two different offensive lines in his first two seasons at Auburn. Now this one returns. So he's had two different offensive lines in three years. He's had three different coordinators in three years. And he's had two different head coaches now in three years. There's been a lot of changing for Bo Nix. And that's hard for any quarterback to succeed under those parameters especially in the southeastern conference absolutely and if we see him progress this year it'll make it all the more impressive right and i believe he will i oftentimes compare bo nicks to baker mayfield not necessarily in play style but i do think they are very similar quarterbacks that that have mobility i actually think bo nicks is a little bit more mobile than baker mayfield is but in terms of being able to move in and around the pocket and, and baker mayfield's pocket awareness and ability to move around in the pocket and 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 not be affected by pressure and to actually stay in the pocket his pocket awareness late in his career at Oklahoma was just and even still in the NFL is just through the roof it's it's a top end when you're talking about quarterbacks in the NFL at this point and when he was in college as well Bo Nix can still improve and take a page out of that book but in terms of their play style I think they are pretty similar Bo Nix needs to improve his accuracy a bit and and obviously Bo Nix a much worse quarterback than Baker Mayfield was in college but play style they are very similar I point to Baker Mayfield a lot in the NFL, his first three seasons, he had different. He had three different offensive coordinators. And he had three different head coaches. Duh, he's going to struggle. And guess what? It finally hit last year with Kevin Stefanski. Finally got him in a position where it was going to accentuate his skills and make him better. And it finally clicked. And guess what? Browns made the playoffs. Bo Nix, I'm not saying that Auburn's going to make the playoffs when it clicks, but Auburn's going to be a much better football team this year, I think, because I have more of confidence in this coaching staff and in this coaching staff's approach to the position and to the passing game, that they're going to write the ship with Bo Nix. I completely agree. I completely agree. And as far as, like, I agree with you. They're not going to be go crazy and make the playoff. But I will say this, and you and I have talked about this a little bit before on the show, this is the year that Auburn gets Georgia and Alabama at home. They have not, they have not lost both of those games in quite some time. Yeah, I saw a funny meme on Twitter the other day. Maybe it was Facebook. It was a picture of the infinity stones from the avengers Mm -hmm. and they had text overlaid on on the top of them and it was like odd year mobile quarterback auburn and george or alabama and georgia at home all these different things that have lined up in the years where auburn has had like wild years like 2017 and 2013 and 2010 unranked you know preseason unranked i was like huh Hmm. yeah i mean it is kind of lining up that way people know i am high up on auburn not because of the outlandish trends that we've seen with the team that are hard to predict but i I genuinely think the talent is there so there's a lot to be excited about and i think bo nicks will take that step forward that specter's calling for there let's take a quick break when we come back we give our top five sec offensive breakout players here on all the line
Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. 334-321-1390 is the number to call. Text line. If you're on the move and you want to just text us, 334-564-1840. A lot of good conversations here on the Thursday edition of the show. It's been jam-packed. If you missed any of it, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, RadioAlabamaSports.net, ESPNAU.com. I mean, there's so many places that you can find it. FoxSports983.com, so many places for you to go and find the On The Line podcast. So make sure you go and check it out. If you ever miss a show or you want to just get it on demand at any point, you can go and find it. I want to go back to in on the fence or out, and then we'll go to give our top five SEC offensive breakout players for the last little bit of our show today. But continuing on in that segment that we have done a variation of start, bench, cut. We give you three teams, three players. You pretty much have to rank them. That's that's the gist of it. You take one team, you're kind of eh on the other, and then you're out on the third. And you may like all three teams, but that's what makes it fun. You have to make some tough decisions. So now we're going out west with this one, just talking a bit of college football here before we have to go to break. In, on the fence, or out. So you're going to choose to be in on one of these teams, on the fence with one of them, or out on another. Pac-12 edition right here. These are your three favorites in the Pac-12. Oregon, USC, Washington. I am, again, very similar to the first uh, to to Wisconsin, Miami, Indiana. I like all three of these teams. I think all three of these teams are going to have successful seasons. But if I were to, to have to cut one, have to say I'm high on one, and have to say I'm on the fence on the third, I am in on Washington. Woo! I'm on the fence on Oregon, and I am out on USC. Yes! I thought we. I thought you were going to be in on USC, man, because you've talked highly of them over the I last little ha- bit. I almost had them on the fence, and here's my thing. I still think they're going to have a good season. Compared to these other schools, though, if I were ranking them, they would be, they would be third. USC is not the beacon of consistency in the Pac-12 conference. Once again, need I add, they go like 5-7, 8-5, 10-3, 8-5. I mean, they're just all over the place. Whereas Oregon and Washington, you know they're going to be in the mix for the Pac-12 title game. And sadly, they're in the same division, but they are going to be in the mix for the Pac-12 title game out of the Pac-12 North each and every year. And I think those are your two contenders in that division going into this year. And it's very hard to choose between those two because they are very similar. But I'm in on Washington, and I talk about what it takes to win a championship at any level and what it would take to win a championship at the Pac-12 versus national championship. It obviously scales down because it just depends on how good or great you are in these three categories. But the three things that you need to win a championship. Number one, Brees Hall. Sure, but (laughs) these teams don't have that, unfortunately. That's a shame. (laughs) But Write them off. What it will take to win the Pac-12 championship and what we've seen consistently from these two programs, you need a great quarterback, you need a good offensive line to great offensive line, and you need a good defense. Those are the three boxes that you need to check. And in the Pac-12, that scales down, of course, because you would need an even better version of all three of those teams, all three of those things, to win the SEC or to win the national championship and whatnot. But I look at Washington, I have questions about quarterback. I look at Oregon, I have questions about quarterback, just because they really haven't taken a whole lot of snaps for these two teams. Dylan Morris for Washington had four touchdowns to three picks last year with a 61% completion percentage. Not that great. But for Oregon... They're breaking in a new quarterback. Tyler Shuck transferred to Texas Tech. Anthony Brown is a Boston College transfer, but he only threw 23 passes last year. Granted, he had two TDs to zero picks, but I just don't think we know a whole lot about either of these quarterbacks taking snaps for him. Offensive lines, I like both of the offensive lines. 
I like Washington's defense with eight starters coming back, probably a lot more than Oregon's defense with only seven starters coming back. They bring back some experience on both sides. But if I'm taking what these two teams did last year, and I see Oregon gave up 28.3 points allowed per game and Washington gave up 25, one of these teams was actually a lot better on defense than the other. And I trust Washington's defense maybe a tad bit more than Oregon's at this point. That's why I was in on them. On the fence about Oregon, though, I still think they're very much so going to be in the mix and the Pac-12 North. I'm out on USC because pretty much all I think they have at this point, this is all they got. They got Keaton Slovis at quarterback and Drake London at wide receiver. They're going to have a pretty good offense this year, but even with that on their team last year, they still only averaged like 30 points a game. They have one of the best quarterbacks in the country and they can only average 30 points a game. And the defense ain't that great either. In my notes... I put Kendon Slovis is, is Bo Nix in a better offensive scheme. 17 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, led 3 game-winning drives last season, but was turnover-prone and had had uh, accuracy issues. There's some, there's some real Sam Darnold tendencies there. I would probably compare him a little bit more to Sam Darnold than Bo Nix because I think there's a high end in terms of yards. You look back to two years ago, Slovis had statistically an exceptional year. We'll see if he can do that in another full season. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on on the line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. We want to hear from you. Once again, 334-321-1390 is the phone number to call had a great show today really enjoying talking with zach blackerby of the locked on auburn podcast as well as breaking out our preseason depth chart series at the safety position played some in on the fence or out sorting through some of these top 25 football teams a lot of great discussions here on the show today if you missed any of it go and find the podcast on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify stitcher and iHeartRadio. it's time to go to giving our top five sec offensive breakout players Earlier this week, Cole Kubelik posted his graphic and his group of guys on his Twitter account, and he had Auburn receiver Javarius Johnson on that list. That got some discourse going. It got me thinking, and I don't have Javarius Johnson in my list. I don't have an Auburn player, actually, on my list of top five players. But I do think Johnson will be a good player for Auburn. I don't know if he's the first guy that comes to mind when I talk about breakout players for this Auburn football team this upcoming year. I think there are other receiver candidates that maybe are more attractive options. But Javarius Johnson still will be a quality receiver for Auburn football this upcoming year nonetheless. But let's open this up to the entire SEC, a list of top five guys that we've got being breakout players in the Southeastern Conference. Lance, start us off at five. At number five, I, I didn't have these guys in any particular order, but if I were to give, if I were to give somebody a, a, a number five ranking out of, out of these guys, I would go Mookie Cooper, the former four-star receiver. He transferred from Ohio State to Missouri. A very versatile receiver coming out of high school. Amassed more than 1,100 yards of total offense uh, during his, I believe, yeah, during just his entire career uh, in high school. Uh, played in the Under Armour All-American game. Just a really talented receiver overall. Four-star receiver. Four-star guy. Just another guy for uh, Connor Basilak to throw to. If he's going to line up somewhere, I believe he's going to be in the slot because he's only 5'8", 195 pounds. So I would expect him to be that slot guy for Connor Basilak. Just another target for him, and he could be another potential breakout star. I believe he was also on uh, Kublik's list as well. Um, He was. I think I don't know where he was on the list, but I do know that he was on that list. And 
it reminded me. I was like, oh, yeah, this guy transferred from Ohio State. And if you were good enough to be recruited by Ohio State, and of course, he only spent one year there and then transferred. He is a freshman on the Missouri football team. People are going to be like, oh, well, he wasn't good enough to play at Ohio State. It's like, okay, chill out. We don't know why he transferred to Missouri, but this guy is still going to be very good. He was good enough to be recruited for Ohio State. He's got potential, and he's definitely elevating the room for the Missouri football team. The leading receiver that he's got to go to battle against is Kiki Chisholm, who had 35 catches for 458 yards and a touchdown. There is This room is wide open for someone to take it over, and Mookie Cooper does have the talent to do that. He's got to keep your eye on if you're looking for this Missouri passing game to really take off in year number two for Connor Bazerlack at the quarterback position. He was number five on my list. Moving to four, since you didn't rank your guys, I'll go into four and then I'll let you give a, a name. I ranked really, my guys. Really quick, I do want to point out, even more so for Cooper, Knox, Missouri's second leading receiver into the transfer portal earlier yep. this summer, so more reason for Cooper to get involved. Sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. Florida is where I take my talents next. Jacob Copeland sophomore wide receiver for the Florida Gators Copeland is the leading receiver returning of course Florida lost their top three receivers but Copeland had 23 catches last year 435 yards receiving 18.9 yards per reception even including Kyle Pitts Kadarius Tony and Trayvon Grimes Jacob Copeland led the team in yards per reception at 18.9 yards per catch he had three touchdowns and a long of 42 down the field Copeland is the experienced guy in this wide receiver room he's the lone returning starter in this wide receiver room and he's been in the program for two years really last season he was making the majority of his starts but his freshman year didn't play a whole lot now he's going into his third year in the Gator program I'm expecting him to take off now that he is reaching that upperclassman level status he's been in the program this is a Florida offense that knows how to get its receivers the football Dan Mullen knows how to accentuate the talents of his best playmakers and Jacob Copeland is one of those returning playmakers now he doesn't have the lights of Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony to take those those targets away from him now he is the target right so by default this guy's going to break out if you don't have a Florida offensive player on your list and I know you may not but I, I know you at least will respect the fact that a Florida player should have a breakout season on the offensive side of the ball. So I, I ran through a list of 10 or 11 guys, and Copeland was the seventh guy that I wrote down. So you so, at least respect it. Yes, I, I, I do at least respect it. I, I agree. I, I, I think he is going to have a breakout year. Um, my number four guy is K.J. Jefferson, the quarterback out of Arkansas. Uh, he was my he was my number six guy until I realized like an idiot I had a defensive player on this list and this is all an offensive player so I had to slide KJ up to number four um, but I, I think with all, Arkansas's offensive production with the two receivers that they have coming back Trey Knox and Traylon Burks I think KJ Jefferson's going to be able to have an impressive year from a statistical standpoint from a uh, sophomore quarterback I think he's got the size to do it I think his receivers definitely have the size to do it I think Knox is like 6'3 and I think Burks is or 6'5 rather and I think Burks is 6'3 um, I think this Arkansas offense is not going to be particularly impressive but if they do do anything impressive it'll be throwing the ball deep and I think Jefferson has the ability to do that and he can move and he put on a show in that game against Missouri where Felipe Franks wasn't playing and he stepped in and, and played really well he had three touchdowns in that ball game so you can already kind of see it there with KJ Jefferson what stinks is and I, and I posted a graphic of this on ESPN 106.7 earlier today 
and we're going to be posting all these different SEC schedules and whatnot, asking people's opinion on how many games you think these teams are going to win and going in alphabetical order. It was Arkansas Day. It's not like we aspire to post graphics of Arkansas football, but the Arkansas Razorback schedule, I look at it, I'm like, man, you got to play Georgia from the East, and of course you always play Missouri every year. That's their cross-rival, cross-divisional rival. This Arkansas schedule is brutal, and it's hard. Uh, it, it seems like five wins is even a stretch at times. Like, I'm having a hard time finding five teams where I think Arkansas is going to be favored at. Right now, I'll set it at four. I think they're better than Mississippi State. Right now, I'll set it at four for Arkansas, but it's hard to find that fifth team to get five wins. Jefferson is going to be the lone bright spot for a team that's going to struggle this year because the schedule is difficult. If Arkansas was in the East, they're a bowl team. They win six games. But because they play in the West and they have to play the best team from the East, and honestly, a team that could slot into second or third in the East this upcoming year in Missouri, they unfortunately they will not be going bowling because I think Arkansas is a better team than Tennessee. I think they're a better team than Vanderbilt, definitely. They're a better team than South Carolina. There would have been three SEC wins right there. They don't get to play those teams. Yeah, and you talk about five wins on the schedule. I have a really hard time as well. I mean, Rice, Arkansas, Pine Bluff, two opponents there. Could struggle with them, just saying. <laughs> That's tough. They'll beat them, and they'll beat Georgia Southern. And I, think, and I think they'll have a good shot to beat Mississippi State. After that, I know they beat Ole Miss last year. Matt Corral's not throwing six picks again. So I think they lose to Ole Miss. That was a win from last year that they're not going to have this year. They're not going to beat Auburn. They're not going to beat Alabama. They're not going to beat LSU. They're not going to beat Georgia. So then you look at the schedule and you're like, all right, can they beat Texas A&M to get to five? And can they beat Missouri to get to six? And those are two games that I wouldn't even list at 50-50. Maybe the Missouri game I would list at 50-50 because you got it at home and it's a rivalry game. Sure, I'll list that one at 50-50, but I'm not listing that Texas A&M game at 50-50, even with A&M still probably trying to figure out some things on the offensive end. And I think it'll be a good game because – typically is a good game between Arkansas and A&M and Arlington but I'm not I'm not giving Arkansas the edge in that game just because the A&M defense is nasty so let's move up on our list we're not talking about Arkansas here let's move up third on my list I got Jaleel Billingsley the tight end at Alabama a lot of this is because there's not a whole lot of experience in the Alabama receiver room Slade Bolden moving into more of a starting capacity A.J. Hall's a freshman John Mechie's the only receiver coming back from last year's football team John Mechie's going to receive a lot of targets, but I think an increased role for Jaleel Billingsley will spell out maybe a 30 reception plus type of season for him, and that's only a 12-catch jump. Jaleel Billingsley, though, has been largely at this point in the – he's been in the shadows. Now he's being brought out as one of the main targets potentially for Bryce Young in this offense, and you're looking for check-down guys, and you're looking for easy receptions when you're a young quarterback and not making mistakes. Your tight end's typically your option – so I think 18 catches jumps to 30-plus. That'll probably, based on his yards per reception average last year, 15.9 and with three touchdowns, that'll probably jump him over you know, to like 450 yards-ish, somewhere around there. And I think that that puts Jaleel Billingsley now in a category of one of the better tight ends in the SEC. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, I think Billingsley definitely will have quite a few balls thrown his way, especially with the lack of returning receiver production. My number three guy is another Alabama player. I believe you have him on your list as well. Brian Robinson, the uh, the running back, averaged 5.3 yards per carry last season. I think considering now that Najee Harris is gone, he's going to be not necessarily the workhorse, but the guy that gets the majority of the touches for Bama. I'm excited to see what this Bama offense does as a whole. Will they rely on Brian Robinson in the running game early, maybe to get Bryce Young more comfortable? That could be a possibility. So you could see Robinson break out early in games against Miami and Florida. 
I want to go back to something real quick about Jaleel Billingsley because I just did some math. Adding 12 catches at a 15.9 yards per reception clip, it's going to put him at about 480 passing yards. So plus or minus there, you may get to about 500 and it'll add another couple touchdowns. It'll add another two touchdowns to it. If he kept at the same averages that he did last year, the same clip, and it may even ramp up considering he's moving into more of a starting role now rather than once again being in the shadows last year. Good to see him get more than five touchdowns. I think that fits into breakout capacity i agree with you on brian robinson as well i have him much higher on my list and i'll get to that later i'm really high up on brian robinson having just an exceptional year compared to what he's done up to this point because he really hasn't been a starter up to this point he really hasn't gotten a lot of carries moving on next on my list second here and i was sad to see that you didn't have this player on your list you don't have this guy do you darnell washington georgia i don't i was sad to see that because i think darnell washington ends up having a bigger year maybe than Jaleel Billingsley I like him more as a tight end option in the passing game especially in the way that I think Georgia's going to spread it out this year maybe a little bit more than Jaleel Billingsley Darnell Washington is an athletic freak when you look at his size you look at his parameters at 6'7 265 but he moves like a freight train the guy if you watch him in the spring game he's got great agility he's got great ball skills I think this is he's going to be the true number one tight end with Eric Gilbert more than likely playing wide receiver Last year, Darnell Washington had just seven catches for 166 yards, a whopping 23.7 yards per reception to lead the Georgia wide receiver room amongst all guys that got catches. I mean, you look at that, not only does he have the big playability with averaging over 20 yards per catch, every time he caught the football, he just about went the quarter of the length of the football field. Think about that. He almost averaged 25 yards per catch, a quarter of the length of the football field. One of those catches considering your average starting field position is probably going to be better than the 25-yard line. One of those catches, you, you threw the ball one time to Darnell Washington last year. You were in opponent territory. You were on the other side of the field. And Darnell Washington now moving into more of a starting role, not dealing with some of the situation that he was in last year. I think he dealt with a little bit of injury in his first year. It was hard to get on the football field a ton for him. Now he's moving into that true tight end number one role. If he just adds, if, if he just like triples his catches total to 21 that's already a substantial impact in this offense that now defensive coordinators have to have to consciously think about Darnell Washington as a legitimate receiving threat. Now, is he going to average over 20 yards per reception again this year? Probably not. But even 17 is a lot, you know? This guy stretches the field. It gives Georgia an option. He's a big threat. Cornerbacks can't guard him because they're not as big at him, and linebackers can't guard him because somehow someone at 6'7", 265 can still move like a freight train, and they're and he's faster and larger than linebackers too. So Darnell Washington, I think, is going to have a breakout year, and he's going to be driving defensive coordinators mad. You talk about pass catchers that average over 25 yards a catch. I've got another guy on my list that may intrigue Spicy. You. Braylon Sanders from Ole Miss. Yeah, I had in my honorable mention Ole Miss receiver. Didn't know who it would be. Had a hard time selecting, so I didn't put him in the top five, but someone's going to break out. So Ole Miss lost their top two targets, obviously, in Elijah Moore and Kenny Yaboa. But they bring back Jonathan Mingo, Dontario Drummond, and Braylon Sanders. And I was, I'm not kidding you, I did the exact same thing on my list. I put insert Ole Miss wide receiver here, and I was like, hold up. Braylon Sanders averaged 25 yards a catch. And you talk about... The, what that does in, the, at the, in terms of like where you are on the field, if you're sitting at the 25-yard line, Braylon Sanders ca- caught a pass last season. On average, you were in opponent territory. Yep. So it, talk about guys that could stretch the field for Ole Miss and replacing deep threats such as Elijah Moore. Braylon Sanders could be the next guy up, a senior. 
we could see him break out finally for for the uh for the rebels this year and probably get drafted relatively high for someone that was dormant for their first three years of college football and then as a senior just explodes you know typically you see those types of guys get drafted in the fifth round you know that will not be the case for an Ole Miss receiver that puts up 700 yards 800 yards receiving because they have a track record I like that I do like that number one on my list I go to Alabama running back Brian Robinson I go to Brian Robinson here because you have to look at his production and the amount of attempts that he's gotten the amount of carries that he's gotten up to this point out of the backfield last year only 483 yards rushing net he had 91 attempts 5.3 yards per carry six touchdowns and the little bit of time that you got of Brian Robinson last year he made the most of it and honestly according to a lot of pro football focus metrics he was very close to being as efficient of a rusher as Najee Harris in terms of things that Brian Robinson can control Najee Harris and this Alabama offensive line last year match made in heaven because the Alabama offensive line is going to open you up major gaps to run into the the offensive line is going to make an Alabama running back look good so by default insert new Alabama running back here who has not played for the majority of his career is now going into a senior season he's bound to break out because Alabama's got a great O-line but even despite the offensive line being great you can still look at things that running backs do that make them better like that 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 they do despite the fact that the offensive line is good right like that that can tell you that even if they weren't running behind that offensive line they would still be a good running back and a lot of that has to center around broken tackles and whatnot and pro football focus breaks that down and and how these running backs add to creating their own space and doing things that the offensive line didn't do for them and Brian Robinson was just as good as Najee Harris last year at doing it when he touched the football and so by default when you're running behind that offensive line Brian Robinson is, is going to have a breakout year this year and rush for you know 1200 yards plus and probably 15 touchdowns and whatnot I mean there he's going to put up a exceptional numbers and I don't think it's going to be a running back by committee group either I think this is Brian Robinson's room I, I like that and I agree with that my number one guy and I'm gonna to have to sales pitch you on this one real quick is Wandale Robinson out of Kentucky transferred you don't have to from sales Nebraska pitch me. I like it but here's the thing if you're a college football fan out there you're saying what he already kind of broke out at Nebraska over the course of two seasons had over 550 yards rushing had almost a thousand yards receiving over the course of two seasons but here's my here's the reason why he's a breakout guy SEC fans probably don't know about him and whenever they see this guy take the field especially opponents in the SEC East that will be facing Kentucky Missouri fans week two will see this guy and they will see what he can do and they will go oh my goodness it's uh it's who Man, why am I blanking on the... Lynn Bowden. Wow, go me. I was talking Randall about Randall Cobb, all... insert Kentucky player that could play wide receiver, running back, yeah. quarterback, tag, tight end, tackle, whatever. They could play anything. Exactly. Lynn Bowden 2.0. I was talking about him all morning. I can't believe I forgot his name. Sorry, and then Lynn. the original OG, Randall Cobb. There you go. Insert Kentucky all-purpose player here, and they will go, um, oh my goodness, they've got another one. He is going to be an exceptional player for Kentucky. He's going to get a lot of touches this season. He's going to break out. He's uh, I'm trying to think. Rondell, Moore. yeah, Rondell Moore at Purdue, very similar player. You're gonna get the ball to him in their hands in any way that you can, and sometimes that's running the football, sometimes that's catching the ball behind the line of scrimmage, sometimes that's sending him downfield, intermediate game. I mean, just you want to get the football in his hands, and he's been a near 1,000 yard receiver in his two years in Nebraska, both years. He's been extremely productive with the Cornhuskers. Of course, it's a, it's going to be much more difficult. I don't know, maybe maybe. Considering Nebraska's been awful 
he's been their lone playmaker there too he may be going into a system now that might accentuate his skills so i'll actually back up on that it may not be more difficult it may be more difficult in the sense that he's playing in the southeastern conference but kentucky has more playmakers on the offensive side of the ball to divert the attention away from him than nebraska did because josh ali is not a terrible wide receiver last year he had 54 catches for 473 yards and a touchdown you'd like to see his touchdown numbers go up but 54 receptions a lot they try to get the football in his hands he's very similar to Wondell Robinson in that he's going to be around the line of scrimmage a lot of times but then you got Chris Rodriguez at running back supposedly they've got a quarterback that can throw the ball now and Will Levis or whoever ends up being the starter they've got other playmakers on offense that maybe Limboden did not have the benefit of at his time because now you got Chris Robin Chris Rodriguez playing alongside you in the backfield you don't know who's touching the football at Kentucky you talk about the, the Kentucky quarterback, whoever it may be, just needing to be a game manager and just getting the ball to his guys in space, get the ball in, in space to Wondell Robinson as many times as you can, and he is going to, I guess, kind of break out for Kentucky this season. Let's take a quick break here on On the Line. We wrap up the show when we come back. Only a minute left in the Thursday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. After us, we got the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck. Me and you had some long segments at the about 30 minutes through both of the both of the hours on today's show, but just a great show here on this Thursday edition. A lot of great content packed in there. And if you missed any of it, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Gave our top five SEC offensive breakout players quick question here too before we get out of here i want a quick answer we'll talk about on tomorrow's show just a brief preview of tomorrow's show because i've got a top three auburn players on offense that i think will break out quick question to you give me one of them uh tyler Fromm was one of them. okay my, yeah he was he was my third guy man you like everybody but john samuel shanker <laughs> i i hate I'm, I'm not trying to hate but i do like tyler Fromm. sure this is not my top guy sean shivers I think he's going to have a really good year. We'll have an interesting debate tomorrow. We're going to have a fun time tomorrow. Lots to look forward to on the Friday edition of the show. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. You know where to find us.